0: Well, tonight i got the privilege of bringing the word and um, I'm closing off the series of love, what what we've been focusing on the past six weeks. And love is an amazing thing. For those that have fallen in love, I think it's one of the greatest things you can ever experience in this world. Pete, you've fallen in love, correct? We'd hope so. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I, I actually... I actually thought um, there's been a number of marriages that have come out of people meeting at Divergent Church. So tonight I just thought before we kick off in the message, I just want to, to honour love, just represent the couples at a Divergent Church. i got some photos of weddings of some guys that married some girls here at the church and i got to say I don't know how any of the guys got any of these girls, <laughs> but they did really well. Why don't we look at the first slide there? That is, <laughs> have no idea, Ryan, and got in a cold, but he did. That, how, long ago have you, how long have you guys been married for now? Four years. Four years. Congratulations, guys. Uh, that's so good, yeah. Uh, next, next slide. That's Kevin and Beth. Uh, they're not here tonight. They're part of the other gathering. They've been married a couple of years now, a couple of years. Next one, please. Yep, yeah, Sean and Elise. I was with them this morning at the uh, City South gathering. They laughed. There's Peter and Emily. <laughs> How long have you guys been married for now? <laughs> and I think we got one more. They're not here tonight, but yeah, so good. Got some awesome, awesome. Co- oh, there's one more Megan Markle. That's right. That's me married Megan Markle, but it didn't work out. She went for some other English guy. But um, love is a wonderful, wonderful thing and if you've had the opportunity to fall in love once in your lifetime, you know it's amazing, isn't that right Dan and Jen? I have one scripture to talk about love tonight and I'm probably going to repeat it a number of times. If you've got your Bibles, it's found in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 and it says this, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That was the NIV. The NLT says it this way, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, that while we were still sinners. And finally, the message, which I really love the way that it puts it, says this, we can understand someone dying for a person worthy worthy to be died for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us in a selfless sacrifice, but God put His love on the line for us by offering his Son in a sacrificial death, that why we were of no use to God whatsoever. He put his son on a sacrificial death why we were of no use to God whatsoever. God demonstrated His love for us, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. There's a story called The Eternity Story. It's a well-known story. It's a guy by the name of Arthur Stace, who for 30 years grabbed a piece of chalk and he walked around the streets of Sydney and he wrote those, that word, eternity, in that handwriting. He was an underclass battler, a former drunk. He was a criminal, but he radically got saved by Jesus. And he was at a meeting one night, an evangelist got up and shouted these words, Sydney needs to have the words eternity shouted through the streets. So in response to that, he felt the Lord say, that is your call for your life. Just a battler. He was an alcoholic. He was a criminal. But he picked up this piece of yellow chalk and for 30 years, he wrote on the concrete eternity with the hope that people would contemplate where they would go when they die. As a result, over 10,000 people gave their life to Christ because they saw eternity written on the ground. Amazing, amazing story. There's another symbol called the cross equals love. Now the cross equals love was birthed out of a Hillsong Easter production that was actually just their slogan for that year. It wasn't supposed to be anything special but that's what happened and it went viral. People took it all over the world and people began to write it everywhere. It'd be written in the sky by the plane riders that come along. And story after story, there are people that were sitting at the beach that would look to the sky and see cross equals love and contemplated their life and gave their hearts to Christ and went to church. It has gone worldwide and it represents the gospel the cross equals love. For God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I had an awesome week this week and um, I had the opportunity to go, as you know, paint houses. One of my friends that I've been friends with 15 years rang me up and said, hey, can you come and paint my house, but I want to help you. I'm like, man, I hate it when people do that. (laughs) Because sometimes it's just easier just to paint the house yourself. Because I want you to teach me how to paint, because I want to paint the rest of the house, and he's a super creative guy. Some people may even know him, Francis Awusu from Culture Break. So he's totally a talented guy, but he's not a painter. But I spent the entire day hanging with this guy who I've known for years, and we just talked, and we did more talking than painting. In fact, we talked about life, we talked about our past, we talked about our future, we talked about our kids, we talked about God, we talked about politics, we, we talked about pretty much everything but something inspired the two of us that day and I want to share that with you tonight. It's a story by the guy of, by the name of Saul in the Bible, Acts chapter 9. Saul was a guy who was a highly educated man. He was fluent, fluent in, in the law. He was a, a very well-off, wealthy man. He was very well-regarded in the community. But there was a, a twist to Saul. He had a passion and a vendetta to track down the believers or the Christians of the time and to torture them, to kill them, to murder them. What a cool ambition to have. He was a man full of hate. And happy to torture believers. He was a man that stirred up violence and got people turning on one another to put their hate and their anger towards the believers. Then one day he was on the road to Damascus to go hoping to find believers on the way only to get there to arrest them and then drag them back and put them in chains. But he has an encounter with the love of God. He has an encounter with Jesus Christ, and it actually says in the Bible, it's such a long story, I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to focus on one scripture out of it. He has this encounter with Jesus, and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And he sees the Son of God face to face and has a conversation, and he falls to the ground, and the Bible says he's blinded for three days. And he gets up, and the guys that were with him take him back to the city, and a guy called Ananias comes, because God speaks to him and says, I want you to lay hands on Saul, The murderer, the guy that's chasing people like you down, putting you in chains, putting you in jail and torturing you, I want you to go. And he lays hands on him and receives his sight. And then goes on and Paul goes back with the disciples and he begins to preach the Gospel to the Gentiles. He writes majority of the New Testament and this man that was set to kill and torture believers gets transformed by the love of God. Now we talked about this, Francis and I, but the thing that struck us and we got stuck on for a while was found in this scripture. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6, and it's Paul writing years later. And he says, If I want to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would tell you the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God. So, to keep me from becoming proud, I've been given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. He knew the law, he studied the law. He's one of the smartest men of the time. He knew it inside out, and he could have been proud. But he says, I've been given this thorn in the flesh, something that's kept me humble, something that keeps me from becoming proud. And this is what me and Francis we just got lost on. I So what was this thing? And you might say, what has this got to do with the message tonight? Well, stick with me. Some say the thorn in his flesh, the thing, that, that limp or that, that dagger in the back that keeps him uh, humble was a sin that he struggled with. They kept him humble. So he's preaching the gospel, but yet he's still got a a problem or a sin in his life that he's struggling with. Some say if he had a wife, it could have been his wife who wasn't a believer and didn't want him to have anything to do with preaching the gospel. Some say it was a demonic angel that was dedicated to stir up persecution towards Paul. But when I think about this, and I'm not saying this is what it is, but I like to put myself in people's positions in the Bible. So when I read about Paul and I read that he's got a thorn in the side and there's not too much more written in Scripture about it, I begin to think, and that's the thing that I dwell on. And that's what Francis and I dwell on. But I wonder if that thorn in his side was his past. Because you've got to understand Paul, When he had that encounter with Jesus and he was blinded and Ananias came and prayed for him, he was brought back into the disciples' community. And I can just imagine Paul sitting there with the believers all around. Now they did life like life comps, but big scale. They were in community with one another. So Paul looked fine on the outside. But I wonder as he sat here with the disciples and the other believers, he saw a young girl five years of age Walking down the street with no father, and he realized he's the one responsible for that. I wonder how many people he bumped into knowing that he tortured their son or their daughter, and he was responsible for stirring up that hate and that anger. This guy that, who was responsible for killing and destroying people's lives, people that put their trust in Jesus, all of a sudden gets transformed, and he's in the heart of the community. How can you sit there and preach about a gospel when the people that you're preaching to and with and living with, you're the one that caused them so much pain? I just thought about, is that the thorn in his side? And then on the other hand, you've got the other believers who look fine on the outside and they look at Paul and they're smiling and saying, what a wonderful work God has done in Paul's life. The, the love of God has touched him but yet inside one of the believers is saying I haven't got a son anymore because this man stirred up torture for the believers or someone lost their hand or they everybody knew somebody where this man had affected their lives. They look fine on the outside but inside they're crying out, God he's a murderer, how can I love this person? So when Paul's in that situation and he's And he's sitting there in turmoil with a thorn in his side, whether this could possibly be it. And Jesus speaks to him and says, Paul, you need to forgive yourself because I have forgiven you. How do you deal with that? And then he puts you in the community. And then the believers are looking, turmoil on the inside, and Jesus speaks to them and says, you need to forgive Paul. Because I have forgiven him, just as I have forgiven you. That is the power of the cross. It's confronting. It doesn't make sense that one sin that could be absolutely horrendous in our eyes is exactly the same as something so small in God's. Because sin is sin in God's eyes. Cross equals love. I've got to tell you, the more that I... Come in contact with the cross. Now, when I say that, the more I dwell, the more I take time out, the more the time I ponder or see the love of God working through my life and the goodness, I just find that that same love that sought me out and found me has begun to flow in a greater way out of my life. Six years ago, you all know my story, but six years ago, my car was stolen. Three weeks after my wife had passed away. I hadn't really cleaned out the car. We brought the car back from the hospice and I had some valuables in there. But because I wasn't in any right state of mind, I didn't even think to empty the car. In fact, I left the key in the car one night and the car was stolen. I didn't think much. I didn't care too much about the car. But what was in the car meant so much to me. Because there was a, a gift that my wife gave me, a personal hand engraved watch. It said, my time is his. I'm talking about his as, as in God. And that's a whole nother story. That was the last gift she ever gave me. She also put together a package of all her makeup and hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of makeup in a parcel in this container, in this uh, bag, and left it for my 13-year-old daughter. Left in the car, my car was stolen. I was devastated about those two items. Anyway, two days later, they recovered the car everything inside was taken out of it. The car was in okay condition. We still have the car today, but it was gone. That's not the end of the story. Six months ago, so we're talking five and a half years later, I get a phone call from the Department of Justice and I thought it was a prank call from India, (laughs) except she was an Aussie speaking. And um. She said, Mr. Walton, did your car get stolen six years ago? I said, Yeah, it did. So, we just want to let you know that the young lady that stole your car is currently serving time at the McConaughey Centre. And she's in there for three years for your car and other related offences. And we would like to welcome you to a meeting, face to face with this young lady, and talk about the process that took place and how it affected you. I went, Great. Has anyone heard of stuff like this before? I so said, I'd never heard of it. I said, sure. So I rock up and I go through the security checks, get the pat down. I was in the middle of COVID. I had a million tests that I had to go through. When I finally get in the lockup. I love it because I've watched all those prison shows. I just couldn't wait to get in the prison. And this young lady who's double my size, her muscles are bigger than my muscles, covered in tats, walks and sits down. And then the, the lady conducting the, the intervention, she said, okay, Murray, I want you to share your story. And I did. I did it from my perspective. And I shared basically what I've just shared with you tonight. And this girl that looked rough as anything, could tell she's had a rough life and had been on drugs, she, she did not look healthy, burst into tears and said, I am so, so sorry. And that's all the words that she could get out of her mouth. Nothing else. I found out through the, uh, the lady conducting the experiment or I don't know, what consultation, I found out that she had a daughter of her own. And part of it was she had to talk about why she did it. And she told me she was in a bad place, she was on drugs at the time, she just broke up with her boyfriend and basically just went on a bender and found my car with the key in it and took off. She can't even tell me where the items where the car in the car, where they ended up because she's got no recollection. Part of this whole process, I was allowed to come and the person conducting the interview said, Murray, you have the right to ask this young lady for compensation and she's willing to, if it's money, 5000 6000 10000 she will commit to paying that back or if you want her to do community service or you want her to do something, it's up to you. You have got to come up with the punishment. I thought, wow, I felt the power. I thought cool. She's sitting here telling me this story. And i got to say, I was calm. I broke down when she started crying. And and they turned to me and they said, okay, what, what do you want her to do in response to this? And I said, I don't want her to do anything except give me a moment to speak. And I said, hey, her name was Kofi. Interesting name, but I said, Kofi, I forgive you. I said, those are items that we'll take and I will never get back and they were things that I wanted to cherish for life. But I forgive you. And not only do I forgive you, I believe in you. I spent two minutes talking in saying, you have got a great future. You've got a great destiny ahead of you. Don't let this hiccup, this setback knock you back. And we talked about ways that when she gets out, how she can set her life straight. You see, when you get impacted by the cross... Because the cross equals love. When that love gets inside you and you recognise who Jesus is and what he did for you, that love just can't help but flow out of your life. And I've realised over the past five, six years, I don't tend to get angry anymore at people. I was in Braddon this week and uh, I was painting in a government complex and a, a young lady was walking a, a stroller with a baby and she left the, the stroller at the side of the footpath and, and came into the little playground area in the, in the complex. And I'm out at my van, I saw all this take place and the next thing I see this drug addict lady on a push bike come pick up the pram and start wheeling the pram away trying to ride the bike. She's going everywhere, crushing in the walls. And I said, excuse me, is that your pram? She goes, yeah, and I thought <laughs> I saw the whole thing take place. I said, I don't think it is, and then she just bleh, yelled at me, you effing this, effing that. She's and it's, I thought she was going to start to attack me. My response five or six years ago would have been to arc up and think, you drug dealer, you drugo, you're just wrecking lives for people. But yet, I look this woman in the eye, and as she's abusing me and swearing me, I, I just, my heart broke for her, and I thought, how how will you touch this woman, God? I had no idea how he could do it. I had no idea how I could reach out to her. But my whole perception in life uh, over the past five or six years has changed because the cross has changed me, and I find where there was anger and unforgiveness, now love flows, and that's what took place with Paul, and that's what took place with the disciples. And the cross was working in Paul's life and just as much as in Paul's life, it was working in the believer's life at the same time because they had a grudge they could have had towards Paul. The cross equals love. And when you come in contact with the cross, it can't help but change you. It cripples your your anger, it cripples your unforgiveness and it has a way of getting that and seeping it out of your system. I don't know how. Would you agree with that, Dan, over the years as you've fallen in love more and more with Christ? Because you're a guy that I just think, mate, if in another five, ten years' time, I I want to be just as in love with Jesus as you are. You both you guys, you just love the Lord and it seeps out of you. I don't want to stop letting the cross affect my life because the cross equals love. There's a scripture, and I'm actually nearly finished, guys. Tap on the back for me. Don't speak too soon, Murray. <laughs> Luke chapter 15, verse 3, is a story of the parable of the lost sheep that Jesus shares. And Jesus told this parable in verse 3. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, "Rejoice with me! I found the lost sheep." I tell you in the same way that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than the other ninety-nine righteous people that do not need to repent. We sang a song based on the scripture tonight called "The Reckless Love of God." It was our last song that we sang. And it's written by a guy by the name of Corey Ashby. And I read an interview that he wrote a, a whole piece on this song, how it impacted his life, about how the cross equaled love affected him and just got deep inside of him. And he writes so, so boldly in, in what I'm about to read to you. And this is what he says about this song. When I say the reckless love of God, I'm not saying that God himself is reckless. He's not crazy. However, the way that he loves can be reckless. He is utterly unconcerned with the consequences regarding his own safety, his comfort and well-being. His love is not crafty or slick or cunning or crude. In fact, all things considered, it's quite childlike. Might I even suggest that sometimes downright ridiculous. His love bankrupt heaven for you and for me. His love doesn't consider himself first. It, is, it isn't self, selfish or self-serving. It doesn't wonder what he will gain or lose by putting himself on the line. He simply puts himself out there with the off chance that you or I may look back at him with that same love in return. He loves, he, he loves and leaves the 99 to go after the 1 every time. Too many practical adults might think this is a foolish concept but, if he, does, but if, he loses the, what if he loses the 99 to find the one, what if? What if finding the one lost sheep is and always will be the supreme importance? His love is not cautious. His love sent his only son, Jesus, to die a gruesome death on the cross. There's no plan B with the love of God. And he closes with this, and I love it. His love saw me when you hated him. And all logic says that they will reject me. But he says, I don't care what it costs me. I will lay my life on the line as long as I might get their hearts. To make it personal, his love saw me, a broken down kid with regrets as deep as the ocean. And he found me and he put me on his shoulders and he carried me home because he is just that good. He is just that kind. He is the father that never gives up. I'm gonna invite you, Pete, just back on the guitar if you you might. It's reckless. The cross is reckless. Romans 5 verse eight, God showed his great love for us by sending his son Christ to die that while we were still sinners. The cross equals love. When you come in contact with that pure love, it changes you, it gets inside you, it breaks down the hurt and the pain, things that may have been done to you, things that you may have done to others and it works on you slowly. You might not see it happening but over time as a way of seeping itself in and then seeping itself out. That's the end of my message But I want to share something that God's been doing in my heart, particularly with the PM gathering here. I've been coming here for about 12 months now and um, you're probably sick of hearing my voice and seeing me stand up. Why are you nodding your head, Leandra? (laughs) i got a work van. So I used to park in the loading zone, literally across the road. It was a sweet deal. I didn't have to walk from the car park or pay any fees. I parked straight out the front. And I walk straight up the stairs and I come to the gathering. And when time had gone and we went out for dinner, I jump in the car and I go. When Kate approached me and asked me to, to, uh, to lead the gathering, within a week, God spoke to me and said, I want you to stop parking in the loading zone. I said, God, that's a sweet thing. It's a good deal. You don't want me to park there. He said, No. So I had to change the way that I came to church. Because I no longer cut across Northbourne Avenue, I came around the back and I parked in the car park, I think where some of you may park, that drive, and I had to pay my fees, $6 in the machine every Sunday night. But I realised why God told me to stop parking in the loading zone, because I began to walk the strip, and if you'd kindly put that first picture up please, Riley, is East Row Strip. I began to walk down this street of a night time and I began to notice how disgusting it is, how filthy it is, how many shops are boarded up, how much graffiti is everywhere. There's homeless people sleeping on the street. There's chewing gum everywhere. And I get to this door and you wouldn't even know it's a church gathering other than a small sign at the top of the building and I walk up. And I felt the Lord say, this is why I wanted you to stop parking in the loading zone because I love this strip. I died for this strip. I died for the people on this strip, the people that have given their hearts and their lives into trying to build a business. I died for them on this strip. And over the space of about six to eight weeks, I'd come early to church and walk up the stairs and I go to the back room and I can see the city of Canberra and I just began to be broken this strip and I began to pray that God would come and touch it. I have no idea how we would do it. I have no idea as a church how we could impact the strip that we live in. There's a homeless lady down there that I've tried to connect with every time I walk past and she doesn't like me. Who would not like me? She doesn't like me. But yeah, God is telling me to love her because He loves her. Six years ago, I went to Vegas. It was one of the coolest holidays ever. There's the MGM Grand and there's the Bellagio and the Venetian. And you walk up and down this strip where people have just had amazing ideas and then just created monster scales of it. It's a dirty place, but it's a cool place. But one thing I noticed about the strip is you don't actually have to walk the strip and that all these hotels don't aren't independent of each other but they know that the strip is the thing that attracts people to come to Vegas so they work together so you can walk through one hotel to the next hotel to the next shopping center to the next shopping center come under the street or through corridors and tunnels cuz it's all connected We live on a strip where God has positioned this gathering for a purpose This is our strip. And I felt God say, you got to stop seeing it as a Sunday night gathering and start to love your strip. Start to notice your strip. I said, God, how can we clean up? How can we touch this? And this is what he said to me. As I'm out the back in that back room, And I encourage people tonight to go for a walk around this building and have a look what it's like, but you can't even move out there because it's just been a dumping ground over the years and things piled up. And God said, I want you to start by cleaning your building up because how can you expect to touch a strip that is filthy and disgusting if you guys haven't taken pride in your own? And I'm not one for buildings I'm one for hearing the voice of God and responding when He speaks. So I want to put that challenge out to you. We've got one other photo I'll kindly put you up of the building. I approached a couple of the girls, Naomi and Nicole, and asked them to put a concept together of just a new design uh, in terms of colours. And I want to put the challenge out. This is not a Murray painting thing. This is a, a team thing, a divergent thing. I want us to all buy in. And start to look at the building that we're at. And start to take some pride and some care, not for the purpose of having a beautiful, clean building, but for the purpose to touch our strip. Because this is the first step along the lines, which I believe God has taken us to. So over the coming weeks and months, I'm going to put a plan together, if you guys are on board with it, where we can have a work and be, where we can just gut this place, clean it up, put a new coat of paint on the walls and start to... See what God sees for this strip. Let it start here in the heart of our gathering and let it flow into the streets. Love you when you walk back to your cars and walk to the train station. Begin to notice the graffiti. Begin to notice the people. Begin to notice the businesses because Jesus loves them and He died for them. Love your strip. I close with this challenge. Why don't we all stand tonight? If you're comfortable to. As a gathering, I think, wow, God, I'll respond to that. I'll respond to that. And I'd like to pray for our strip tonight, start to take our eyes off just our community and begin to put our eyes just outside the door. I'm not talking the whole city of Canberra. I'm talking about a strip that's about 50 metres long, 100 metres long. But you may have been challenged tonight about the overwhelming love of the cross. I want to ask you, what is the strip in your life? Who is the people in your life that that love that has affected you, that God wants to flow into that world? It could be a family member. It could be a work colleague. That is your strip. We're just going to spend a couple of minutes just praying for that tonight. In fact, I might just pray and we might just break up into groups if that's all right and just spend a few moments just praying for our strip and for people in our lives. Thank you, Father. Father, I just wanna thank you for your cross. I thank you the cross equals love. and You bankrupt heaven, you gave your best, you gave your all, you put all your cards on the table and says, this is all that I have. And you laid it down at the cross, your son, because your love is so intense for us and your love is so intense for this world. And we thank you for it. We thank you that love has reached, Lord, down and touched the heart of this gathering here in Canberra. But, Lord, tonight we just pray that same love that has affected our lives, Lord God, help us to see the way that you see. Help us to love the way that you love. Help us to notice the things that you notice. I thank you that you took me from the loading zone to the car park because you wanted to show me the people that you love and you care about. We pray for them tonight. We pray you touch them. We pray that you transform our strip, Lord God, that we take ownership over it. And we say, Lord, we thank you that this is our strip. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it, Lord God. And we pray that people will come to know you in this strip. We pray that the homeless lady that doesn't like me, Father God, it doesn't, it's irrelevant, but I pray that she will come to know you. We thank you for your cross. Why don't we just take a moment just to get into groups of three or fours or whatever it is, and let's just not talk a lot, just get into a moment, just pray. Maybe pray for our strip. Maybe pray for one another. That that love of God, the cross equals love, will begin to flow out of our hearts afresh.